Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, The Visit of the Wise Men, Part 2. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all of our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. In our first Christmas episode titled, The Visit of the Wise Men, Part 1, December 5th, we examined Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 of 12. In these three verses, we found a lot to learn. One thing we learned, Christ was born in the lowly community of Bethlehem. This shows us that his kingdom was and is not of this world. Jesus also had little regard for pomp and outward greatness. We also learned that King Herod was a man of great talents. However, King Herod was more distinguished for his cruelties and crimes than the result of what he could accomplish through his great talents. Another issue of note was that King Herod had brought many people to a violent death. They were people he had only suspected of conspiring against his reign and family members. In other words, he had little, if any, proof supporting his reasoning for killing people guilty only of Herod's suspicions. This week, our scripture reads, After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are in no way least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they left. And once again, the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully. As they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back by another route to their own country. From Green's Literal Translation, Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. For clarity, verse 4 reads, After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Herod, being in great perplexity, convened a council 
of chief priests and scribes, and demands of them the place where Christ, the promised Messiah, was to be born. They readily replied, out of the prophet Micah, that Bethlehem was the place. This was the city of David's birth and of Christ, the son of David. Bethlehem signifies the house of bread and was so called from its fertility and fruitfulness, and as some think with reference to Christ, the true bread of life, born there. Bethlehem was a mean and contemptible place in itself, but being honored with Christ's presence, how great is it? Learn thence that the presence of Christ dignifies and exalts a place, how mean soever in itself. Bethlehem, though a little city in itself, yet is not the least among the cities of Judah, because Christ is born there. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Micah was referenced in that commentary by William Burkett. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it reads, As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, from you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf, one whose origins are in the distant past. Though Jerusalem should be besieged and taken, and the land of Judea laid waste, yet before all this should be, the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem, of which this is a prophecy. The place is called by both the names it went by to point it out the more distinctly and with the greater certainty. The former signifies the house of bread and a proper place for Christ to be born in, who is the bread of life and it has the name of the latter from its fruitfulness, being a place of pasture, and as we find it was at the time of our Lord's birth. For near it shepherds were then watching over their flocks, and it is here added to distinguish it from another Bethlehem in the tribe of Zebulun, from which the tribe, the Messiah, was not to come, but from the tribe of Judah, and in which this Bethlehem was, and therefore called by Matthew, Bethlehem in the land of Judah. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. Notice that these two commentary passages have said the same thing. It is notable because one is commentary on the book of Matthew and the other is commentary on the book of Micah. Yet, they both said, almost word for word, these two things. Bethlehem was the house of bread, and some think with reference to Christ, the true bread of life, or more directly, said by John Gill, who is the bread of life. Notice also, these two provable points of Bethlehem of Judea. 
Bethlehem was a mean and contemptible place in itself, and its fruitfulness being a place of pasture. That is a contradiction of terms. How can a place be mean and contemptible while also being a place of fruitfulness and pasture? Fruitfulness and pasture suggest a peaceful place, not a place that was mean and contemptible, and the destruction that comes along with that naturally. This symbolically speaks of how miraculous Christ is and how he can renew something for someone. A person can, and often is in some form, through the pure spiritual eye, mean and contemptible. Then one is awakened and reborn in Christ, thus making him or her fruitful, being led into green pastures, as Psalms tells us. Sound familiar? He leads me into green pastures? Notice, too, what commentary told us. The presence of Christ dignifies and exalts a place, how mean soever in itself. Is that not a description of the workings of salvation in Christ? Does he not come into us, live within us, dignify us, even exalt us in certain ways when we accept him into our hearts and lives? Think about that. Verse 5 and 6 read, In Bethlehem of Judea they said, For it is written this way by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. Notice how verse 6 is spoken. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Notice the wording. A ruler who will shepherd my people. Given our modern-day understanding of these two words, how is a ruler a shepherd of people, or a shepherd a ruler of people? Commentary helps us with this historical fact. In the Old Testament, kings are, by a beautiful figure, styled shepherds. From Robert Jameson, A.R. Fawcett, and David Brown Commentary, Critical and Explanatory on the Whole Bible, 1871. So, clearly, a shepherd is a stylized word for leader. It also implies why a shepherd is a leader. Such a leader is benevolent in their ruling and governing of people. This clearly means, in the same analogy, all people are sheep. Simply stated, we know a good shepherd guides his sheep where he wants them to go. A bad shepherd beats his sheep and may even harm or kill the stubborn sheep that wander as sheep can. Christ, as a good shepherd, guides his sheep. When they wander astray, he retrieves them. The good shepherd only breaks a leg of a sheep that refuses to obey. 
Does that sound like a Bible story to you? It should. So, the plural word, shepherds, is speaking of more than one ruler of people, of which was a common thing in these biblical times we are examining. Now, notice, though you are a small town, yet you will be very famous and notable through the birth of the Messiah, who will be born in you. That will rule and govern, for kings are rightly called leaders and shepherds of the people. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes. Hopefully, this gives you a better understanding of what Scripture is telling us. Now we read, Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. From Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Now, observe here, 1. How Herod cloaks his intended cruelty with disguised hypocrisy. He had a murder in his heart when he pretended to worship Christ with his mouth. There is no villainy so great but will mask itself under a pretense and show of piety. Herod veils his intent to kill Christ with a pretense to worship him. 2. Herod calls him the young child, not the young king. That word was too big to come out of Herod's proud mouth. He could neither bear the thing nor brook the title. A king, it is true, he is, but one that will never be thy rival. He has a kingdom, but it is not of this world. 3. How craftily Herod lays his plot. He desires the wise men to inquire thoroughly and to inform him privately. To be wise in doing mischief is the worst wisdom in the world. It is not the wisdom from above, but from hell beneath. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. So, now we get a better look at King Herod. We see that he is not what he may appear to us today in this scripture passage thus far. Yet, it is consistent with the personality we have developed from scripture to this point, and commentary notes. Therefore, this is no surprise. Notice, after King Herod says, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. Scripture continues. After listening to the king, they left. And once again, the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully, Is it just me, or are these wise men that bear gifts for Christ, the babe, seem to not be on the same page as King Herod? Even though they are sent by King Herod, let us see if we can gain some clarity. 
observe here one how the star which for some time disappeared now appears again to the farther direction in finding christ teaching us that god will not be wanting to such as are on the way to seek christ but will renew direction and encouragements to them according as they stand in need none ever sincerely sought christ but they certainly found him at the last. 2. That the joy which arises in such a soul as has found Christ is unutterable and unspeakable. The wise men here rejoiced with joy, with great joy, with exceedingly great joy. 3. The wise men, having found this young king, they bring presents to him according to the manner of the eastern countries, namely gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which were the principal commodities of the east. But the best present we can make to Christ is ourselves. He seeks not ours, but us, and rather desires what we are than what we have. Yet, the providence of God was wonderfully seen in these presents, for hereby provision was made for the sustenance of Joseph and Mary and the child Jesus in their exile or flight into Egypt, which they were shortly to undergo. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. It is not unlikely that they lost sight of the star after they had commenced their journey from the east. It is probable that it appeared to them first in the direction of Jerusalem. They concluded that the expected king had been born and immediately commenced their journey to Jerusalem. When they arrived there, it was important that they should be directed to the very place where he was and the star again appeared. It was for this reason that they rejoiced. They felt assured that they were under a heavenly guidance and would be conducted to the newborn king of the Jews. And this shows, one, that the birth of Jesus was an event of great moment, worthy of the divine direction of these men to find the place of his nativity. Two. God will guide those who are disposed to find the Savior. Even if for a time the light should be withdrawn, yet it will again appear and direct us in the way to the Redeemer. 3. Direction to Christ should fill us with joy. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the Savior, the Friend. The all in all, there is no other way of life, and there is no peace to the soul till he is found. When we are guided to him, therefore, our hearts should overflow with joy and praise, and we should humbly and thankfully follow every direction that leads to the Son of God. Reference John chapter 12 verses 35 through 36, from Barnes' New Testament Notes.
To keep the context, I will read verses 34 through 36. They read, Then the crowd responded, We have heard from the law that Christ will remain forever. How can you say, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus replied, The light is with you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he went away and hid himself from them. Let us examine this a bit. Walk while you have the light. Believe ye in the light. And the sense is, believe in the Messiah and in his gospel. Embrace him and walk on in him and worthy of him and of his gospel as children of the light. Lest darkness come upon you. Suddenly, at an unawareness, either a greater degree of the darkness of ignorance and unbelief, even a judicial blindness and stupidity, which did seize on that people and continues upon them to this day, or the darkness of afflictions, calamities, and distress, and which have come upon them to the uttermost to the destruction of their temple, city, and nation or else the worst darkness, even blackness of darkness, outer darkness in hell, where are weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. For he that walks in darkness knows not whither he goes. He cannot see his way, nor the stumbling blocks that lie in it, and the dangers he is exposed unto, nor does he know where it leads. And what is the end of it? And just so it is with a man in the state of unregeneracy, and more especially under judicial blindness, he is not aware of the pits and snares that lie in his way, or of the dark mountains on which he stumbles. And though destruction and misery are in his ways, he knows not that he is going there unto. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. In closing, we can see that we need to walk in the light of Christ, the light of life in Christ. We see everything directly in the light than we do in the darkness of our sinful nature. That is the distinction being made here. As children of the light, we are to embrace Him and walk on in him, and be worthy of him, and of his gospel, as children of the light. The light being the light of Christ. If you notice nothing else, be sure to notice this point. Darkness is an unawareness, either a greater degree of the darkness of ignorance and unbelief, even a judicial blindness and stupidity. This darkness is found in a man or woman in a state of unregeneracy, 
meaning a person who is not saved in Christ. Unsaved people are not aware of the pits and snares that lie in their way, or of the dark mountains on which they stumble, and though destruction and misery are in their ways, they know not that they are going there unto. Next week, we continue our Christmas study in the final part of The Visit of the Wise Men, Part 3. Stay with us for this exciting upcoming Christmas episode. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched. Thank you.